Okay, here we go. Initiation. So the head robber you're about to see here in a minute <clears throat> is voiced by an actor by the name of Lex Lang. And putting aside for a second how incredibly cool it is that a guy doing a voice for DC Comics animation has a name like Lex Lang, uh, he actually becomes a fairly uh, important actor on the uh, on season five, where he voices no less than three villains: Heat Wave, Captain Cold, and Atomic Skull. And this is his first little role here as the head convenience store robber. Now, I've got a lot to say about Green Arrow, so settle in. Uh, first of all, I love the theme that they gave him here. Uh, I'll point it out a couple of times throughout the episode, but it pretty, mu pretty much plays throughout this entire scene. It's got a nice sort of swashbuckling, daring-do, old-fashioned hero sound to it, which is quite in keeping with his character. The reason why I believe, and I obviously I can't state with any degree of authority, but I believe the reason why they decided to start with Green Arrow at the beginning of the first episode of Justice League Unlimited is because Green Arrow in the comics was the first new member inducted into the Justice League beyond the original seven. So given that the premise of this episode obviously is introducing viewers to the concept of the expanded league, what better character to start with than Green Arrow? And I love this little moment here too where he helps the woman up so he, just a very gallant, almost a little sexist in, in that I don't see him helping any of the men up, but it's quite in keeping with his somewhat Lothario character. So yeah, um, <clears throat> his costume and his attitude here are pretty much straight from the comics, uh, as pioneered by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams in their Green Lantern, Green Arrow run from the 1970s. They gave him this somewhat updated costume and an attitude of being a, a real lefty and don't trust authority and look out for the little guy and that kind of thing. So this is straight from that. And the reason why they had Green Lantern be the one to come and bring him up to the Watchtower is, is probably due to the fact that Green Lantern and Green Arrow shared a title. They did not... not I'm not sure if it was because neither title was selling well. I'd, I'd have to check on that, but... For whatever reason, they amalgamated the Green Lantern and Green Arrow characters into a, into a title called Green Lantern Green Arrow, which continued the Green Lantern series numbering, and co-starred both characters, and that went on to have a very successful, very influential run, and dealt with a lot of political topics and a lot of social causes and so on. And so those two characters are sort of inextricably linked because of that, and that's probably why they chose to pair them up straight off in the episode. Also, it's straight from the comics that Green Arrow hates the Justice League teleporters. In the comics, they make him sick to his stomach. I'm not sure if... I don't think that's touched on here, but they do make the point that he does not like them. Now, there's a character there in the bottom left, a big green guy with bumps on him, that is not seen in any other shot in the entire series. Now... It could be a miscolored, it couldn't be a miscolored stripe or a miscolored atom smash or any of the other big guys because they're also visible in that shot and they don't have big bumps on them. 
So the only thing I can figure is that some storyboard artist or animator took it upon themselves to sort of try to sneak Swamp Thing in there, and <laughs> that's the only thing, the only possible explanation I can come up with. Now Superman, hold on, just one sec here, when Wave Rider casts a somewhat suspicious glance at Adam Smasher, uh, there's a storyline in the comics where when Wave Rider was first introduced, and he's a time-traveling hero, and he was there because one of the heroes was going to become a traitor, and he was there to stop them. So when people saw Wave Rider cast that glance towards Adam Smasher, people began to suspect that that was the direction they'd go with the character in this series, that he'd be trying to ferret out a traitor in the in the JLU, but that's probably the the biggest bit of business the character got in the entire series, so that was just a red herring on the writer's part. But Superman's speech here struck some as, as being a little Justice Lordish, in that, you see the little Injustice Gang member mugshots there on the screen, in that he's basically saying, none of you are going to be cowboys anymore, you're all going to have to operate under the auspices of the Justice League. It almost sounds like everyone is being forced to do this. And the fact that they basically shanghaied Green Arrow and brought him up here into the Watchtower and tried to coerce him into joining the team, as he later calls them on in, uh, in Flashpoint, it seems a little authoritarian that they're saying, you know, our way or the highway, who are they to dictate how vigilantes operate? But, foreshadowing or not, it's an interesting little thing. Now, Captain Adam is voiced here by George Eads, probably best known... Uh, as one of the regulars on CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, he also did a uh, a TV movie about Evil Knievel, but best known from CSI. In fact, I believe his was the first bit of casting information released about Justice League Unlimited. Um, I remember checking the internet just out of habit while I was on vacation, and uh, comicscontinuum.com had the bit of information that George E. is going to be voicing Captain Adam, and throughout that entire week they would, they would keep updating with new bits of information about Fred Savage and Jason Hervey voicing Hawk and Dub, and Jeffrey Combs voicing The Question, and, and so on and so on. Uh, so that was a real thrill, just getting that rapid-fire information about the new series. But the first bit that came out was about George E. and I was so hyped about the new series that I wanted to you know, preview it in any way I could, so I got the first uh, DVD box set of CSI, and later I became a really big fan of that show, but I only got into it because I wanted to see uh, the guy that was going to be voicing Captain Adam. Now, the little wink that Ollie gave to Kara there was misinterpreted by some as thinking that he's sort of hitting on her, but it was more intended to be more along the lines of, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think much of this jerk Captain Adam either. Now, they tweaked Captain Adam's origin a little bit. In the comics... He was a military man who was falsely accused of killing a superior officer and was roped into a military experiment that ended up bonding an alien metal to his skin, and that was what made him Captain Adam. He was also sort of slingshot into the future and all this other stuff that I won't go into, but here they've basically given him a different origin where the suit is a shell which contains his his being, which is just sentient energy, which is basically taken straight from a Legion of Superheroes member named Wildfire, who basically has that same shtick. So they sort of co-opted that, and I guess it makes for a little bit more interesting and, and a little bit easier to explain backstory than the whole going into the whole thing about alien metals and so on. I love that Ollie just hangs back and has a drink. 
they'd been allowed to, they probably wouldn't have given them a little canteen of alcohol or something. Now the whole thing here with um, with the league going into a foreign country, even though they're not necessarily wanted, was the first inkling. Of course, we didn't know it at the time, but the first inkling of what would later become the whole Cadmus story, where uh, the U.S. government in particular, of course, calls the league on being too powerful for their own good and for nosing in governmental affairs when they're not wanted. And that was set up way back here in the first episode. Quite deftly, in that it just seems like a little bit of business to add some realism to the episode, and then later on, as you get to fearful symmetry and so on, you begin to notice a, a recurring theme. The actor here, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name, James Sai or, or James C, I'm not sure, uh, later goes on to voice... Um, Oh God, I'm blanking on the name. Wind Dragon, Wind Dragon in uh, in Ultimatum. There's quite a bit of that uh, in the DCAU when you you learn to look for it, where an actor will come in with a relatively small, thankless role, and then later be brought back as a featured character. Whether it's because the the producers and Andre Romano really love what the actor did with the small character and decide to give them a bigger role or whether the actor is was really hyped about being on the show and wants to be on it again i i don't know but it it does happen a lot ga's attitude here is a little backwards when you think about it it makes sense of course that he'd want to help the little guy but being such a lefty you wouldn't think he'd be of the viewpoint that they should force their help on people that don't want it He'd be more like, this is their country, they can do whatever they want. That the League should maybe offer evacuation or humanitarian aid, but not necessarily put their foot down and try to intervene as aggressively as they do. But he's such a hothead that it works either way. So now we're going to get to uh, the big bad here in a second, Brimstone. And uh, when Cartoon Network first aired Starcross, they aired it as a movie event. And at the end of it, while the credits were rolling, and for some reason I'm just recalling now that when they ran the credits for Starcross, they spelled that from Zimbalist Jr.'s name wrong, but that's neither here nor there. When they were showing the end credits to Starcross, they showed a little sneak preview of JLU in the corner, and none of us had any idea that it was that that was going to be there, and we were all really excited about it. And uh, they, the preview showed Brimstone, the big robot from this episode, and given that in the comics, Brimstone was from Apocalypse, he was a creation of Darkseid, some people began to think that Darkseid would be making his big reappearance, if not in this episode, then sometime early on in Justice League Unlimited, that it would maybe, like an overar maybe be an overarching season plot or something, but... We called that one a little early. There were other changes in that little preview 
uh, from what appeared in the final episode, I, I recall uh, the first pan across the new members on the Watchtower included Supergirl in the preview, but not in the final episode. And there were other little touches like that, but it showed Supergirl and Green Arrow and Captain Adam doing the thing in this episode, and a few little bits of business that showed uh, the boxing glove arrow. I didn't talk about the boxing glove arrow, but GA has all sorts of crazy, kind of campy, silly trick arrows in the comics, but perhaps because they're so silly, they've kind of become beloved by the fans, and when uh, the comics introduced the second Green Arrow, Connor Hawk, Oliver Queen's son, he was very much by the book and no nonsense and didn't go in for any of the trick arrows, but they usually, they kept finding a way to bring them back in there, and then when Ollie came back, they're back in full force. you got to love the boxing glove arrow. It's sort of become the epitome of crazy green arrow trick arrows. You either love them or hate them. Now, this uh, scene here was part of a preview clip that was shown on Cartoon Network's website, and this was the first time any of us got to see an extended uh, sequence from the first episode, not like the preview that they showed with Starcross, which was cutting between various scenes very quickly like a little trailer, but this was a whole scene. And it had sound, of course, and so we were exposed for the first time, to the musical style that would become the norm for Justice League Unlimited, i.e. the sort of rock and roll, electric guitar sound. And it really hit you over the head, and it really took me by surprise, because when GL comes in to grab Green Arrow there, and the Green Lantern theme plays, it plays with that electric guitar, and I didn't know what to think of it at first. I, At first, I didn't really like the, the, uh, the electric guitar rock and roll sound. I thought it, it clashed with the more traditional superheroics of the show. I mean, rock and roll is fine for Batman Beyond. And in fact, it occurred to me that they were perhaps trying to bridge the gap a little bit between the present-day Justice League and, and Batman Beyond by introducing musical styles that would become more prevalent in Batman Beyond. But my gut instinct was that I didn't really care for the rock and roll sound. And they didn't use it a lot, it must be said. That it was... Mike Mike McQuistian seems to be the... of the three uh, composers seemed to be the one that most heavily favored it, but even when the others would use it, 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 it sort of got toned down, and it maybe we all just got used to it, but it sort of took everyone by surprise at first. A lot of people hated the opening theme, and a lot of people hated the fact that it showed clips from the episode that was about to air, and some people even took to closing their eyes during the opening theme so they wouldn't be spoiled, even though, as Bruce Tim has said many times, they took special care to choose clips that were not spoilery in any way, shape, or form. And this episode, uh, animated by DR Movie, DR Movie animated a few episodes back in Season 2, Only a Dream and uh, Secret Society and a few others. But beginning with this episode, DR Movie was put into regular rotation with Coco, or Dong Yang, and that they would basically alternate episodes. So all the odd-numbered episodes would be animated by DR Movie. And they really became my favorite studio and a lot of people's favorite studios. The, the characters are sometimes a little off-model. They're a little bit too anime, maybe, the, the styling and the shading of it. Uh, but just the sleekness of the animation, the fluidity, 
all the little effects touches are great too. I love all the fire effects in this episode. They're not CG. They're they're just a great effect. The bit there, uh, Green Lantern actually shouts out as he's coming out of his, you know, pain and anesthesia-induced unconsciousness there actually shouts out Shaira, and the closed captioning for this episode, and some people turned it on because they couldn't quite make out what he was shouting, but the closed captioning said Kara, but he is quite clearly saying Shaira, so perhaps in his his days there, Kara's headstrong nature keyed in on something, and he didn't quite know what he was saying, called out Shaira's name. People who tuned into this as a first episode and hadn't seen any of the previous 52 episodes of Justice League must have wondered what that was about, though. Or maybe they just thought he said Kara. Now, Carbon Rods... <laughs> start, this is going to start a whole thing here, but... Carbon Rods are a way to, act, to to stop nuclear activity. That much is true, but... I find it hard to believe that a, a huge, like, 20-story robot being powered by nuclear activity could be stopped by a tiny little one-meter-long carbon rod. I mean, it starts a chain reaction, sure, that, that could stop a great deal of activity, but still, I I think you'd probably need the carbon rod of a much greater mass than that. And I love uh, Supergirl's characterization in this episode. A lot of people, I don't know, some people don't like her. I don't know how you can not like Supergirl. But she starts off just being completely disgusted by Captain Adam's soldier bearing. And then by the end, she's sort of teasing him about it and saying Roger, you know, like he did earlier in the episode and winking at him. And I don't know. I mean, some people some people just don't like Supergirl. And, and it's been said that perhaps that's some fans just have a, a strong negative reaction to seeing uh aggressive female superheroes on the show and and just think they're being obnoxious when they display even the slightest bit of attitude even though a character like Green Arrow in this episode is being a thousand times more off-putting than Supergirl is but and this is a great bit here when I saw this I mean this this takes you by surprise and I actually thought they would every now and then kill off a hero just to constantly keep everybody guessing as to whether anyone would survive but over the course of the show they didn't end off and didn't end up killing a single hero uh, with two slight exceptions one being Longshadow who was only introduced to be killed and who did not actually die on screen and Red Tornado who was destroyed in the return but then later resurrected without even a mention of him ever having been dead but DC doesn't like it when when Bruce, Tim, and the others kill off their characters. They feel it reduces their marketability. Some people uh, criticized this and, and thought that, I mean, how thought that it was just way too convenient that really the only League member suited for this task is Green Arrow, and wow, he just happens to be there. Uh, and that's a fair criticism, I suppose, but when you're dealing with superheroes, you just got to accept that they're going to save the day by using their, their particular skills, and that's just the way it goes. 
pretty clever little bit, actually, and I like to be sort of down and dirty improvising, too, because Green Arrow's origin in the comics, of course, is that he was sort of a, a rich, spoiled playboy, but he got shipwrecked on an island and had to learn to survive, and survived only because of his wits and because he taught himself to use a bow and arrow and discovered that he had an innate expert skill at it. And when he returned to civilization, he decided to use his newfound skills to live a life of excitement and danger, and later decided to renounce his fortune so that he could be closer to the little guy that he so respected and wanted to help. So, G.A. sort of getting down and dirty and improvising in a jungle setting really takes you right back to his origin. And I love how beat he looks there. Supergirl doesn't even break a sweat. She knocks the head off the thing, and Geo fires. G.A. fires up a couple arrows, and he's ready to collapse, but I just love how trashed he looks and his hair all tussled and so on. It's just a great little touch. And all the smoke effects in this are beautiful, too. He can barely raise his arm there. It's just great little acting on the part of the storyboarders and the animators. Now, some people thought it was a little silly that, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, this doesn't really make a lie, goes the question. The, the, even even before they, uh, they had a, a question spotlight episode, you see him walking around the background with a sort of hunched over look that was so indicative of him. It's a great little touch. But um, it doesn't really make a great deal of sense because it looked like Captain Adam, Captain Adam exploded in the stratosphere. And when you get up there and the air is so rarefied, and even if he exploded in low orbit, his his gas, if indeed he is gas or energy inside there, you'd think it would just be dispersed instantly, and there'd be no way to recover any large portion of it, but they seem to have done it somehow. Maybe they kept a transporter lock on him or something. I don't know. Okay. Now we get to what I was going to say earlier. Some people thought it was a little silly that Green Arrow wears his mask in the shower, but it's been commented by the producers that, no, he didn't actually wear his mask in the shower. He just put it back on before he came out of the showers. Because unless they choose to reveal their identities to the other members, then other members don't know their secret identity. So no one would know that Green Arrow is Oliver Queen unless he chose to tell them. It's kind of weird. I mean, it's a great little moment, and of course she looks really pretty there, but... I've never seen anyone put a boot on so seductively. She takes she takes like two minutes to put that boot on. She sort of cocks her head and smiles. and No one's that happy putting a boot on. Uh, love at first sight. And Batman knows it too. Batman's just completely messing with him. Alright, so the first episode of Justice League Unlimited. Great start to the great series. I remember how hyped I was after this first aired. You know, in retrospect, it, it doesn't really have a ton of depth, but things were just so rapid-fire and so well-animated and so exciting and such depth characterization that I was just sucked in right from the start. Thanks for listening.